I'm sitting here with Holly Brown, one of my favorite people on the planet, and I would say that whether we were being recorded or not, Holly is our executive pastor. She lives outside of Nashville. You've been on staff for a year and a half, two years? Yes, almost two and a half now. No way. I know, time flies. Holly, I'm, I, again, I always feel weird when I'm being recorded because I would want to say the same thing that I would. If you're not following Holly, Holly, you should. Be, um, follow her on Instagram, specifically follow her on Twitter. I feel like that's where you're dropping your wisdom all over the place. So go follow Holly. You want to do so, I promise. So today's conversation um, is a little bit different, even different interview style. I should have a specific sit-down interview with you at some point, but today's going be more of a, of a discussion. We at the church here started a, um, a message series called Anxious and Afraid. And I think for both of us, we thought it would be a series that would connect. I'll be honest, I didn't think it would connect as much as it has. Um, we've had a super solid response, people just coming up after we've talked, and it's um, which is a wonderful thing that it connects with people, but also kind of a heartbreaking thing that so many people are wrestling with anxiety and fear um, in their lives. And that's something that Holly and I both have in common as well, struggling with anxiety and fear. Um, I just want to read just a few stats uh, just to kind of get started. Anxiety disorders impact 40 million American adults, or 18% every single year. Women are twice as likely to struggle with anxiety than men are. Over 25% of students between the ages of 13 and 18 years old struggle with an anxiety disorder of some kind. More than half of all college students have sought out help with the issues, different issues around anxiety. Uh, some have said we're in the midst of an anxiety epidemic right now. Really, the stats are crazy. You shared some stats yesterday as well. Yes, I shared uh, the fact that all those stats that you read about how many adults and teens are struggling is rising by 5% every year. I read an article just last week that said millennials are now documented to be the most anxious generation recorded in history. So it's I'm with you. I knew it would be uh, a series that would connect greatly. I just didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> I want to put that on a platter for you. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think the thing that shocked me when I was just digging into stuff was not just the stats, but the drastically increase in stats year to year right now. Yes. That most was the of the stats that, that we're reading are uh, 2016, 2015 stats. And so if you add, you know, 10, 15% to even those, that's really where we're at today in 2019. So it's crazy. And it really is crazy. So you, this whole series, you can go IamEmbrace.com and listen to the series as a whole. But we just kind of, I just wanted to take the time with Holly um, just to talk a little bit more, maybe mention some things that didn't get mentioned um, or just to kind of dig into some things that we did talk about on the Sundays. Holly, if you just want to share just your own personal story with anxiety, I know you didn't get to share it enough yesterday. Right. <laughs> and you so, me through this torture again. <laughs> so if you just want to share your story, though. Yes, yes. Uh, well, honestly, I up until about five years ago, I hadn't struggled, uh, had never struggled with anxiety. Uh, I've had, you know, fearful thoughts, but nothing that seemed to paralyze me or keep me from accomplishing what I set out to do. Uh, but then about five years ago, life just really hit me. And I, I, uh, I, I just really began to struggle with, um, paralyzing fears. We went through a lot as a family. We had moved four times in one year. My husband had a high stress, uh, job that he traveled all the time. I had a full-time job, uh, that was also high stress and went through a lot with that. Uh, I had kids that I was constantly trying, three kids that I was trying to help navigate new communities, uh, plant some roots and, and find some good friends. Uh, but really what was happening in the middle of all of that, I was 
crumbling on the inside. I was falling apart. I felt, and I began to develop irrational fears. Um, I had a friend that hurt me pretty deeply and it left me with a feeling that even people who look at me and tell me they love me and care about me are really out to hurt me or exploit me and my family. And so I began to become so paralyzed in that fear. It developed into a fear of people. I didn't want to post anything. I didn't want to say anything because of uh, things being taken out of context and used against me. So I got to a point in all of that where I was just unraveling on the inside and my world was falling apart. At least in my head, it was falling apart and it was irreparable. And, uh, one morning my mom called me and she said, Holly, you need, you need to go get professional help. And that was really tough to hear. I, I am one of four girls and I prided myself on being the strong one, the one that kept everyone else together. Um, and so to hear my mom say that I needed professional help because I wasn't functioning was, was pretty tough, but she was right. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't even handle hearing my kids chatter and talk. Uh, I was trying to find ways to numb myself. Um, I wasn't functioning. And so I did walk into a counselor's office and later that week and that morning was terrible. I'll never forget it. When I walked into her office, it was a horrible morning. And I walked into the office and about three minutes into my first counseling appointment, uh, my counselor stopped me and she just said, Holly, I will help you, but I can't help you today. And I was like, oh no, you're going to help me. <laughs> I paid $125 to be here and my life is falling apart. You're going to help me today. I need like this, 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 and this fixed, like in the next 60 minutes. And she said, I, I can't Holly, uh, I can't help you because you're panicking. In fact, you're in the middle of a panic attack right now. And Adam, that was honestly, I had had those feelings, but I didn't know that that's what that was. Um, and I didn't know that I was so extreme in that. I didn't know that I was, uh, irrational. I didn't know that I wasn't making any logical sense because my mind was moving so fast. My mouth couldn't even keep up with it. I didn't know that I was agitated or fidgety, that I wasn't taking deep breaths. None of this that I know. And, uh, she explained that to me and she just said, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to call a doctor right now. And in about 20 minutes, you're going to leave and go straight to a doctor. And so that's what she did. And I went to a doctor and thank God, uh, for a great counselor and some medication and, and even some of the things we talked about in the series, some of the practical tools that we talked about. Um, I don't currently have panic attacks, but it's, it's been an everyday battle with fear and anxious feelings uh, for five years now. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Holly is, um, both Holly and Chris, I think are easy when you first meet them to just assume that they have it all together. And, uh, and that's, I say that as a compliment, like the two of you, uh, we just are both hot you. mess express around no, here. No, <laughs> you, just when you're around the both of you, it's you, you just come off as people who have it figured out or you, you just have it together. And I know even the camps pastors that report to you, I even felt uh, them coming into this series of like, gosh, I wonder if she really does struggle with it because even after knowing you for two years, that's still true. And so I think there's something so disarming and so refreshing and encouraging to see someone like yourself, Holly, struggle and be willing to be vulnerable is just a gift. And really one quick side note too, I think I can say this for, for both of us. I have never struggled more with anxiety than since we started this series and start since I started to dig in on prepping for this series. For me personally, more than any other time before, 
it, uh, and we, we had a conversation and you said, gosh, I feel like this is something that Satan has a hold on us and doesn't want us messing with, especially in the church, especially when we talk about the power of Jesus and found in Jesus. Right. And I'm always really apprehensive and slow to talk about spiritual warfare, probably to a fault. And yet I can testify that that is without question been true for me. It's like, no, I don't think Satan does want us talking about something right. that has such a hold on this generation specifically. Right, right. Well, and there's a, it's uh, anxiety is multifaceted. It is, it is complex. It affects everybody differently. Uh, and there's just, and there's a lot of in incorrect things that we're told to do or that would fix it. And so it's just one of those topics that it, it's, it's nerve wracking to teach on because yeah. it is so broad in the way that it affects people, but it's so heart deep and it's in the way that it's paralyzing us. Uh, and yet there's so many right or wrong. So even the thought of something being taken out of context or there's just a lot of pieces in, in this topic that there's not the perfect answer to it. At least it's not been developed yet. <laughs> yeah. And so everyone has their opinions about it and that, so there's just a lot of, even in that, that can cause fear and anxiety to be a communicator, uh, teaching, you know, in a series like this, never to mention what the enemy's doing inside of all of us, you know, that, that is so true. And I, I always think that's where grace comes in. It's like, God, if I misstep or if I misspeak and there's rarely been a message that I've heard even a month later that I'm like, I wouldn't, ch- I would change that and I would change that. Right. And I totally disagree with that. Right. And so I think instead of not talking because of fear, right. it's like, no, let's talk about this thing that so many people are wrestling with, so many people are dealing with. Even yesterday, you talked about one of the miscon- different misconceptions that people have. And I even got an email today from a professional. They're like, I'm a professional. And I feel like to even admit that I'm struggling with anxiety is like admitting I'm crazy or something. Right. Do you, do you want to share anything misconception-wise? Like what yeah. kept you from going to get help sooner when you were in the midst of that season? Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I think the things – I had a few different misconceptions or stigmas that I was working through on the inside that kept me from raising my hand. Uh, one, one, probably the biggest one, especially being in ministry is, is the fact that if I just prayed a little bit more or trusted God a little bit more, that this would be fixed and it'd be put back together. And actually I believe that I thought, no, I can, this is, I can fix this. It's, it's, it's directly related to my relationship with the Lord. And so that was, that was, and that we hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. And, uh, so that was a big one. Another one was I used to be in the medical field. I was a nurse. And so I literally, one that I got hung up on is I didn't want mental health issues being written in my chart. I knew that stays with you forever. And I, I literally was hung up on that. My husband's a big budget guy. I knew it would be, would, would translate to higher insurance deductibles. If I went on a medication, if I need to see a counselor, I didn't want, I didn't want that. Uh, and then just being a, a working mom and I'm sure all moms, whether we're working or not, I just didn't want to admit that as a, as a leader, as someone who does try to have it together, uh, admit that I would, I couldn't put my inner world back together. It was completely imploding and I couldn't put it back together. And so that was to me, that was one of the hardest was to admit that, that I'm weaker than I appear. Yeah. So it's so interesting for myself, but also for other people when we're physically sick, there's usually not shame connected with it. Like maybe I've I've sent shame before in someone who's got lung cancer that smoked for years. Gotcha. There's a little bit of that. Yes. But for the most part, when you're physically sick, it's like I couldn't like fight, like 
I'm just physically sick. But when we're mentally sick in any way, right. it's a source of hu- a huge amount of shame yes. and just feeling like a total failure. Even um, I- I've, I've told this to quite a few people, mental health here in town. Um, it's a, a hospital where you can go check in for a, however long you want to stay there. To, the, to this day, there's not been a single person that I've met with there that I haven't had a huge amount of respect for. Wow. I think oftentimes we think, oh, you completely have lost your mind. Right. That's where you go and you have to be completely senile to, to show up there. Right. Instead, what I've the people I've met with have went through a hard experience. Their yeah. mom died of breast cancer. They had a miscarriage. They Their marriage fell apart. They got fired from their job. It was like all these different situations that led into this. It's like, one of those things would make you crazy. You just went through five of them. Right. And you just right. need to, to like wave the flag of surrender and that's why you're here. Right. And so that's always been an encouraging thing to me of like, they're not crazy at all. They're actually wise and seeking out help. So that's been, that's been a powerful thing. And it surprises me every time that I go to visit someone up here, Hebrew Health, and yet it shouldn't be. Right. Um, so it's kind of jumping into sp- some specific things, Holly, of how to attack the anxiety in our life, how to fight back. You shared them yesterday. If you just want to walk through a few of those or and if there's something that you didn't share yesterday that you want to share, feel free to go. Yeah, sure. I think, I mean, some things that we talked about yesterday that are, are our biggest uh, tools that we can have, practical tools to, to fight back. It Obviously, we just talked about getting professional help. And, um, and I shared that yesterday. Uh, you know, the more anxiety we have, the more anxiety we're going to have. Uh, and so when we deplete our reserves of the neurotransmitters that keep our brains calm and stable in traumatic experiences, oftentimes we go through something traumatic and we will deplete those reserves, but we don't realize that that's what we've done. And so now when we realize like, how come my boss putting pressure on me is tipping me over the edge? Well, your boss has always put pressure on you that never ruffled your feathers, but now post your traumatic experience, you don't have any reserve to keep you calm under that. And so, and then you just do more stuff. You fly, you know, you fly off the handle back at your boss or you do more things that now aggravate it. Uh, where in the very beginning, you went through a traumatic experience, your reserves were depleted. And, and that's why professional is so important because they can help get those things back on track and help you understand what's really going on. That's, that's You're so not good. far from God in the attitude that you just had. You just flipped out because you have no emotional support inside of you. you it's gone. You've re- de- you've, you know, completely uh, depleted your reserves. So yesterday when you shared that, that was probably one of the best analogies I've ever heard for explaining like, why is this little thing just setting me off or just destroying my world? Uh, It's because it's not this little thing. It's all this other trauma that you've gone through for professional help. I'll share uh, candidly for myself. If you want to share too, Um, for me, as far as just, I've been going to a counselor now. I went to a counselor six years ago when I went through a season of burnout, Yeah, a time that I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I, I was just totally burnt out. I had zero energy. That season was probably a season of depression for me. I didn't even realize it being a recovering workaholic. I just needed to talk with someone just to get back on my feet. Right. This past summer, this past year, I've been going to see a counselor and I'll just say it for the listener. It's awkward. Mm-hmm. Specifically, if you're a leader and you have any notoriety, it's going to be weird if you see someone in the waiting room. Um, the last place I went to, I'll never forget my second or third time there. I knew three fourths of the people in the waiting room and they knew me as their pastor. 
And it's almost this look of like, oh, is he here to pray with somebody? <laughs> right, like, right. No, I'm jacked up too. And so that's why I'm here. And so it's awkward. Um, the, the person I'm seeing right now has been so gracious. He's just like, hey, well, as soon as you get here, you can just jump, jump in my office and just hang out until I'm able to come meet with you. So that's uh-huh. been a gift. But it's awkward. And yet I just want to challenge you, like, go see a counselor. Whether you're going through a hard season or you're not going through a hard season, that's something I want to build in the kind of the rhythms of my life. It's just like, nope, you take care of yourself physically, Adam. Okay, why wouldn't you do that emotionally and mentally? Right. And so that's been a huge... Um, thing for me, uh, I always tell people go to a counselor twice. If it still feels awkward, see a different counselor. Right. Don't feel like you're breaking up with your girlfriend. And yes, it's yes. awkward. I, de- like, I had continue to do to go that. see somebody. The first time uh, I went to not not the one that ended up helping me, but when I went to a counselor, I someone had set me up with her, and she was nice. This sounds so bad. She was too sweet for me. I was like. I will bulldoze you into what exactly I need you to do. I'm like, she is so sweet that there's no way this is going to work. Like I need tough love. I need someone to tell me, uh, you know, and I knew, I kind of knew what the personality that I needed if I was going to get through this. And, um, and I went home and I'm like, "Ah, she's just too nice. And so I ended up, you know, switching and found a great counselor that was a godsend to me during my worst season. So. That's awesome. One question, and feel free to share as little as much as you want. Sure. I think medication and talking about medication around anxiety is kind of the taboo end of things. Just for you personally, again, I, I really think for each person, it's it's totally different. For you personally, can I ask what that what that looked like and yeah, what how long and yeah, just yeah, in, in your struggle with even trying out medication in general. Oh goodness, yes. So so for me. At first, my doctor just prescribed something as needed because I was, I didn't have a history of anxiety or depression. So he just subscribed something as needed. And he basically said, you know, if you're taking this more than two, three times a week, you need to come back and see me. And that was amazing because that did help me at the beginning get, because a problem with anxiety is a lot of us are functioning, but you don't know before they walked into the meeting that they were in the bathroom trying to catch their breath or yep. you don't know. So, and that's where I'd gotten, like, I'm going to go lead this meeting, but I can't even catch my breath or I'm, so, you know, I haven't eaten in three days. And, and so that, that really helped me get back to a, a more of a functioning, uh, place in life. Um, after after about a month or two, uh, it's, my anxiety still was continuing to climb to where I, I felt like, okay, I'm, he said two or three times a week, I'm taking this two or three times a week. So I went back and saw him and he prescribed uh, a daily uh, anti-anxiety for me. And I went on that and I did not know. My girlfriend, it, it made me, I, I'm not a crier. I weeped over everything. Like my dog would be sad when Chris left for work and I would cry watching my dog sad. And that is just not me. I am not a crier. I don't, when we watch a movie, you can ask my husband, he is bawling his eyes out at every teen movie, every teen drama. And I am like laughing my head off at him. And so anyway, so that just wasn't me. And I had a girlfriend come over one time and she's like, I mean, you think maybe you might not be on the right med. You seem to be getting worse, not better. <laughs> And in, in my head, I was like, yeah, these just don't work. I'm throwing them out. And I really had to overcome that and say, just because one didn't work, I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to try this again until I can find, you know, something because my kids deserve better than this. My husband is, and my quality of life, oh, yeah. it should be better than this. This is a, like, I tell my husband all the time, this is our best decade. I mean, that's what I think right currently. This is our <laughs> best decade. 
and and uh, hopefully they'll keep making you know the 40s and new 20s and the 50s and new 30s and then I might like my 50s better but <laughs> currently this I kept saying this is my best decade and and I don't even I, I don't, there's nothing about it. I don't want to wake up in the morning. I just want to go back to sleep. I just want to get the kids out the door and, and, and be done with them for the day, you know, and I just knew this is, this is not, this is something's off here. So I went back and I got on a, a different one and the second one was great. It helped me a lot. Uh, and then I talked to my doctor. I think he, he said six months and then I, I, I believe I went on one more round after that. And, uh, by then I felt like I'd gotten stronger and my counseling had really helped. And so he helped me wean off that, um, after that. And, and, and from then on, there's definitely been seasons where I've questioned, you know, maybe I should reconsider that. But, um, from then on it steadily, you know, things got better and stuff. So, you know, I think for everyone that journey is different. Um, and I think that's just staying open-minded. And if one doesn't work there, there, there may be something that works better for you. Um, that's so, huge. Yeah. So first practical step, seek professional help. Second, find one friend, one friend. And, uh, I think that the hard part about anxiety is it's so vulnerable and there's so much about it that you want to hide because of the shame that we all feel attached to it, uh, that we keep it all inside. And the problem is you just will never beat anxiety in isolation. You won't, uh, quite frankly, our minds are sick. And so you can't beat a sick mind with a sick mind. It's why you never can reason yourself out of a panic attack. Uh, and so you have to have one person that, and yes, you have a counselor, but can you call your counselor 24 seven? Do you have someone on call that you could call like that? And so I just, I believe that you've got to have one friend that can pull you above that chaos in your head. Um, a friend that tells you in, in, in a gentle way, what's logical, what's not logical that just kind of helps you discern that, but also that could just sit beside you. I had a girlfriend one time, Chris was out of town and I had a panic attack and I just never forget. She just came and sat at the end of the bed for two hours and she just said, I'm here and your kids are fine. Never said another word except for she probably said that 10 times. I'm here and your kids are fine. You're going to make it. And I just will never forget that. And not having that friend, there's no telling where I would have ended up mentally that night or, you know, and things like that. So you're so desperately wanting it to stop and to get out of that rut. And so, um, there was a cool quote this weekend. Um, I think it was Perry Noble who shared, um, people need your presence, not just your prayers. Yes. I saw that posted and what is, what a powerful thing of just being present and not feeling like you need to have some deep thing to say to your friend. Right. But just being there to listen to them, to pray for them, just to to be there, I think is such a such a game changer. And I know for me, just having people who will pick up the, the phone when I call them. Right. And just say, hey, I'm willing to listen. Text me, call me, reach out to me. Right. Um, in life, if you have one or two of those people. Right. It's like, thank God. You don't need five of them. You don't need 10 of them. You really don't. Just one or two. Because then you start panicking about what you told, like the deep vulnerable things you told people. <laughs> so then that just makes it worse. So you just need, literally, you need one or two that can be there for you and um, can help even keep the things about it that you want private, private. Yep. And uh, help you navigate some of those intense moments. So Really quick on that too. I, I, just to share it for people who don't hear the, the message, yeah. the real or not real moment. Yes. That was so good. You want to share that? (laughs) Sure. Sure. So I, besides my husband, I really only have one, one friend, one girlfriend that I can trust with my most vulnerable thoughts and, or my most anxious thoughts. And, um, I play this game with her called real or not real. And, uh, if you guys have ever seen the hunger games, have you seen that Adam? I actually haven't. 
I can't even speak to you. This this <laughs> this interview is over. I cannot even believe I haven't seen the Hunger Games. Has okay. Chris? Oh my goodness, he cried through every one of them. Oh gosh, <laughs> they're amazing. So, anyway, so in the Hunger Games, um, there there's uh the love story uh is Peta and Katniss. Anyways, the the lead the lead male role says to uh Katniss, he he says you you you're still trying to protect me, Katniss, real or not real. And she says, of course, because that's what we do. <laughs> and uh, it's awesome. And then the very last scene, and they're married, he says, you love me, real or not real. And he always questioned her love. And so, and uh, she says, real. So anyways, I play that game with my friend. And when I have some really anxious thoughts uh, recently, someone who had hurt me in our past reached out to my husband and it just, it set so much anxiety in me and fear. Um, just, you know, the unpredictableness of somebody that you don't know, you know, anymore. Are they still against me? Are they for me? What, you know, what's, what's the deal here? And so I started to feel anxious and I, I felt, I started to get sick to my stomach. My mouth got dry. I just remember feeling that feeling of impending doom kind of creeping up on the inside. And so, you know, I had the choice in that moment. I can jump on the train track of worst case scenario and play that out over and over in my head and end up yep. honestly with a panic attack. It takes me about 30 minutes and I could have ended up panicking. Uh, but those take weeks to overcome, you know, and to get to feel like you're back on track again. And so, uh, and I've been there and I've done that so many times. So instead I picked up the phone immediately. I called my girlfriend and I said, listen, here's what was said. Here's who said it. Here's what my mind is now telling me. Is this real or not real? And it was crazy. She walked me through. She said, I think, honestly, Holly, I think you're off. I think that's not real. I think you're blowing this out of proportion. Comes to find out she couldn't have been more right. And in fact, it was even something totally different than what. And so it was, it was amazing. But she talked me off the edge because, you know, I'm playing worst case scenario and, you know, things are going to end up horrible or whatever. And, um, and she just, she just said, no, I I don't think that's real. I don't, I see why I see why, why you're thinking that, but I don't think that's a real, a real fear that you should be afraid of. And, um, so that's, that's what, that's the game that we, that she plays with me. And it just really kind of helps me to have somebody that I trust on solid ground, pulling me above the chaos a little bit that can start going in my head. And what a gift to have that, isn't uh, it? It's amazing. To to say like, Hey, I love you. I think, I do think you're off or I think you're on, but here's some truth. Yes. And yes. to, I'm going to be with you in this. Yes. yes and she I, will say that. She will say, Hey, I, that could be real this could happen, you know, or whatever, yeah. depending on what I give her that day, you know, uh, but you're going to survive it. Yep. You know, if that does happen, you're going to survive it. You still have your family, you still have your friends, you know, so, and she helps with that stuff too. Because if it's real and you're on your own, it just drives you completely insane. Like, and instead of having someone like, no, I think you are thinking correctly here, but right. the outcome of this I think that's where you're off. Yes. Or yes. I, I think the, you know, the worst possible scenario is inaccurate. Like, so this might be real, but this is, this yes. is off with where you're, you're taking yourself and where this outcome. And one thing place. that I had to learn when I battle anxiety is we don't get grace for our imaginations. <laughs> and so when I start playing out worst case scenario in my head, that is a future that is minus God's grace. And, and so, you know, the Bible tells us that we will find grace and mercy to meet us in our time of need. 
And so lots of times we play out worst case scenario. We're not there yet. And so I, just because I imagined it, I have no grace for that. I have grace for today and only today. And I have grace for the needs that arise for today. And I will get a strength from God should that happen. But it's not happened. And so therefore that, that imagination has no grace attached to it. And that's why it sets in and causes panic. When my, my dad passed away about 12 years ago. And I remember people coming up to my family and saying, I don't know how you guys are doing it. I would never survive this. If what happened to your family happened to mine. And at the time I was like, I know this is terrible. You know what I now know is they most definitely would survive it. Yes. If what happened to my family happens to your family, you will get a grace and a strength that you do not currently possess. And and that is the same with our our fears and our uh like especially when we fear future, we fear outcomes or we fear if that does happen, I will get a grace from God and a yeah. strength that I do not currently possess. And so often we just real we just leave God out of it in the future. You know, when we start oh, yeah. playing out worst case scenario, there's no grace attached to that. We're not we're not God's not in that. And so and unfortunately we don't get grace for our imaginations. So good. So So get professional help. Find a friend, one person. Third thing. Marinate in worship. And uh, this one was really big for me. And I shared this with you prior to teaching because I didn't want you to be offended by it. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, when my anxiety is really high... I, I can't even listen to preaching. Like I, I, for some, something, especially if the pastor is a yeller type, yep. I just, I already, when my anxiety is high, start questioning if God is really for me or if he's against me, is he, is he really working for me or is this payback for mistakes I made, you know, 10 years or whatever, last week, even, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and so I start to, and I know that's a lie from the enemy, but that's, that that's where my mind goes. And so sometimes even preaching exacerbate can exacerbate that when I'm in that illogical state. And so, um, but what I have found is no matter how anxious I am, even in a panic attack, you can turn on soft worship like Ellie Holcomb or Bethel and I can handle that. And it begins to calm my mind and soothe my soul. And I really believe that is because worship allows us because see when we're, when we're, when things are spinning out of control for me, when things are spinning out of control and I don't trust the one who is, or I don't trust that he is for me, that is a perfect recipe for panic and for yeah. anxiety. Like it's complete, something just happened to remind me that nothing's in my control, but I'm questioning if the one who is, is even for me right now, you know? And so it, it, it creates so much panic in my life and we all have enough things in our life to justify why God wouldn't be for us. Like if we really wanted to go that legalistic route yep. and we want to prove that it's only under grace that we all stand. So it doesn't take me long to get there. Like, yeah, you're right. I don't deserve you to fix this world for me, but it's a mess. <laughs> and so what worship does is it allows me to get to know God's character again, but it allows me to get to know his character in a way an anxious mind can receive. It's soothing, it's calming, and it's reminding me of the goodness of God. It's reminding me how much he tenderly loves me yeah. and cares for me, how much he's working in ways that I cannot see. And so it's 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 reminding me of who God is, but it's doing it in an avenue that I can actually receive when my mind is in that chaos. 
Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So that's why I say marinate in worship. I mean, turn everything. Turn the podcast off. Sorry. Turn the preaching off. Sorry. Adam, this is horrible. <laughs> I'm working Just against shut, you. <laughs> shut this, shut this shut episode off right that's now. That's right. That's right. Turn on the worship. But turn everything off, you know, and... um and just soak in worship. Put it on the ledge when you're in the shower. Keep it on as much as you possibly can until you can feel your soul begin to calm down a little bit. That's so good. Uh, other practical steps. Anything else that you have practically? No. My, I mean, my, my final step that I shared yesterday is uh, to fight back, you know, and uh, that is really big. To me, that's probably the hardest one when you're in the middle of a panic attack. And that's why you've got to equip yourself prior to one of those. But um Fighting back is is so important. I, I I talked about you know a soldier could hide in in a bunker or a trench and they could ultimately survive a war by just hiding from the shots of the enemy. You can yeah. survive a war, and many of us are doing that in our battles with anxiety. We are simply just trying to survive from one panic attack till the next panic attack. And if I can just survive this one, but what we realize is we're never beating it. And that soldier's never going to win that battle if it doesn't pick up a weapon and fire back at the enemy. Yes. And, uh, and I did that for far too long. I just never had anything to fire back. Okay. I need to take medication. Okay. I need to calm my mind, but I would, I had nothing that was helping me fire back. Yep. And, um, I had all these reactive steps that I could do. But I wasn't able to, I wasn't firing back. And that's because, you know, when you, uh, in Ephesians, it tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And honestly, I left my Bible sitting unclosed, uh, unclosed, uh, closed, unopened on my nightstand, um, as I sat in bed and panicked and panicked and panicked. And a lot of that was because when you read, when your mind is in such a chaotic state, it's very difficult to read. Yes. And when you do, it just all kind of gets jumbled in there. So I'd open up the word of God and I would read and I would shut it and feel like just as anxious as I was. And I, and I know that God's word is powerful. I'm not, that, that truth is so, that is true. And that is, um, exactly what, so I knew I was, what am I missing? Why am I picking this up? And I'm, I'm I'm still feeling just as chaotic inside. I feel like things are spinning out of control. And for me, I learned, I have to know what God says about my fears and I have to know the truth of God's word. And I have to be equipped to speak those out loud. And I have to speak out loud. That sounds silly or or cheesy, I'm sure to some people, um, or even legalistic it can sound. But the the what I learned through this was my mind has so many thoughts swarming in there. And so when I read a verse, I kind of throw it into this heap of all these different things that are going in and I'm trying to process and spit back out just as fast as they're coming in. But see, when you talk, you can only say one thing at a time. I can only speak one thing. And I do know this, truth will always triumph, lie, and faith will triumph fear. But I had to get to a point where I could receive it. And the only way I could figure out to receive it is I've got to speak this because I only get to speak one thing. And so I can't speak truth and lie, lie at the same time. I can't speak both faith and fear. So if I speak faith... I'm going to speak it over those lies in my mind. I'm going to let my anxious mind hear my voice speak truth. And so for me, learning to proclaim God's word out loud, regardless of what my mind was feeling, just to start to say it. No, that's not true. You're not an enemy of God. You are a child of God. He crawled up on a cross. He died for you. He dropped blood. Like, And just getting in the mirror and pl- proclaiming these truths out loud and reminding myself that what's going on in there is not true. Um, but it didn't work to mix it all in there together. If that makes any sense. Yes. That's so good. Even so week one, we, we looked at, um, 
Psalm 23. And so my wife and I, we memorized that last week. And just the power, even this past seven days of struggle with anxiety here and there, I just began to to recite it out loud for myself. And what a gift is to have that, especially in memory of like, no, I I don't really have the words to speak right now, so I'm gonna copy David's words from the Bible. Right. And I'm I'm believing a whole bunch of things that are not true. And so I'm just gonna keep like telling myself truth, like just speaking the word of God over me until it really sinks into my mind, but more importantly my soul. Yes. Of just like, no, this is true. Adam, you're believing lies right now. Here's truth. Stand on the word of God. Stop trusting yourself and trust what you know God is 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 behind. It's true of his character. And so even the last seven days it's been such a gift. But it's so I, I've I've done that so many times. It's like the word of God, but the Bible is right here. And instead of opening it up, I'm just going to continue to go to myself. Yes, yes. Circle you, the drain. <laughs> yeah, you said it perfectly. A sick mind. What What was the quote? Cannot you heal a sick mind. Yes. But a sick mind can be healed in the lap of the great physician. And so, and I think about that when I think about worship is kind of just Jesus setting me on his lap saying, just get to know me again. I'm more tender than you think. I'm more compassionate than you think. Um, and of course, when you read the word, I love the Psalms. I think it's the best place for an anxious mind to go. And I think we're a gener- uh, culture just because of uh, just, you know, how much we have access to in our back pocket that that we it's easy to think that we don't really need to memorize we don't i don't even have to memorize how to spell anything anymore yeah. you know like who needs phonics and who even needs to like you don't even need any of that anymore and i think that that you feel that way even even when i'm you know when i need a verse i can google it on bible gateway or yeah. i can you know i look it up in pinterest even you know like things like that but the truth is having your weapon ready to pull out and speak against what's going on is so valuable and and we've lost a little bit i think of the importance of that is and i know we'd all say that that is an important discipline but i i don't know that in 2019 it's as important as it used to be in the 90s or you know because that was really pushed hard and and you could see it because if you didn't have it written on a note card with you, you weren't going to have it, you know? And so, um, whereas now we have accessible, but the problem is, this is my problem. If I have it on my phone, I'll pick up my phone and then I'll end up on social media. And then social media is, is to anxiety. What, what gasoline is to a fire. Like, so, so it's a disaster (laughs) waiting to happen. And, uh, and so I just know that that's, that's the route that I would, you know, take myself in. And so being equipped and ready with those truths, um, allows you to squash it before it becomes a full blown fire in your head. Oh, no, the the truth I've had to print it off. So right now on my desk, I have Psalm 40 verses one through four, and I've had to print it off because I kept doing that when I looked at it. Uh, on my phone, I would end up on social. Oh, yes. And I'm like, this is the complete opposite of what I'm looking for right, right now. Right, right. And so I needed to print it off. And with Psalm 23, I just left it in my car. And every time I'd get in, I'd start reciting. And now I'm doing Psalm 40. But there, it really is something that is lost. In seminary, I had a ton of scripture memorized. And I'd have right. note cards. And it was something that I would go through on a regular basis. Not in a legalistic sort of way, but in a life-giving way. Like, right. no. This isn't so I can tell my buddies and all whatever. It's for my my own walk with Jesus. Like, I need this. And uh, it's honestly been years since I've specifically and intentionally began to memorize scripture. So that's been so helpful for me. Wow. So just a gift. Yeah. My daughter, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and uh, she has, and this is probably one of the hardest parts of all of it is I've seen some 
anxiety in her. And, uh, and that's, that to me is the most devastating part is that as parents, if we don't beat this, we are going to pass this on to our children. And the way that, that, that the tide is right now, they're going to be worse than we are. And when I saw, started to see that play out to be true in, in my own child's life, it's, just honestly, when it became more about not just me beating it, but helping our culture beat this, uh, we've got, we've got to change the tide for our children. But my daughter was struggling with, she struggles sleeping in her room. And so she ends up in our room, like literally half, half the year. Um, and she just, you know, we've, we've never, like, she just, it's on the floor. We wake up in the morning. We step right over. Go get ready for work. I'm like, I guess Annie had a rough night, and so <laughs> we're not the most doting with that. But the the she was telling me the other night that she had learned a verse for school, and she told me that, um, Mom, I was laying in bed the other night, and I was gonna get up and I was gonna come in your room, but then I remember that verse, and it says, "Whoever says he believes, but then doesn't really believe me." And then she finished the verse, you know, and, um, she said, and I say, I believe God and I, and you tell me that he's my helper. But then if I get up and come in your room and I really don't believe he's my helper. And she goes, so I said, I'm just going to stay here and stick it out tonight. And she stayed the whole night. She was so proud of herself, but that was the first time in her little 10 years of life that the word of God spoke to her, like that it came alive to her. It wasn't a history book. It came alive to her and she had this anxious feeling and God brought that back to mind and she tied those two together, you know, and that, that was when I was like, there's so much power in knowing the word of God and being equipped with it. So that was cool. That is, that's great. Yeah. Cool. When it's powerful and you see it take root in your own kids. And I've even seen worship in my oldest son, Hudson, it really being something, whether he knows it or not, I can tell when he's struggling and getting anxious about things, there's power in just beginning to sing. And, and so just even in worship and, and open up the God's truth, Holly, th- thank you for, for sitting down. We, we barely scratched the surface and yet it's a conversation that I'm, I'm hoping my, that we just kind of begins a conversation with people, right. whether it's in families or in couples or with groups of friends of, gosh, I struggle with that too. Um, I'm kind of walking through this, just even reaching out and, and beginning a friendship on a deeper level of, Hey, can I come to you with this? Like, is this a safe place for me to have these conversations? And Holly, just want to say it again, just grateful for you. Um, oh, I'll never you. forget when you first came on, you said, um, you, you texted me one time that you're a wounded warrior and someone who I just have such great respect for as a leader. I can't say it enough. Go and follow Holly online if you don't already. Um, she's got the experience, the wisdom, um, but it's that wounded warrior is the person that I want to follow. Oh, I, more and more you. away from Jesus, I struggle to connect with anyone who's perfect. I'm so far from perfect, mm-hmm. and yet I'm so thankful for your willingness to come and really have this conversation with the church uh, and even with myself right now. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me.